so I don't want to overstate the case because I don't know all of ancient literature or anything like that, but it strikes me that something that is kind of unique to the Judeo-Christian tradition and is kind of ultimately culminated in Jesus Christ and his manifestation of the of God as he interacts with his people is that it's a lot more concerned about everyday ordinary things. I mean, I think of, you know, the epic of Gilgamesh and Gilgamesh is kind of like this ancient superhero. He can do anything. And, and that actually is what gets him into trouble. Right. Uh, and his, and his friend, I can't remember his name was like this shaggy thing. I can't, um, but, or, or, you know, um, Achilles about whom you have the Iliad written or, or the Odyssey with about Odysseus. And, you know, he's the only one who survives. All the rest are kind of extras who get paired away as he journeys home. Uh, or, you know, most of ancient literature is kind of focused mostly on royalty, important figures, kind of superhero-like figures, or, or whatever else. That's not the case with the Jewish scriptures or our scriptures. It's about ordinary people. Like, I mean, there's kings in there as well. I mean, you've you, you got to cover the kings. I mean, they're the ones who got to make the news, right? But, but... There's stories like about Ruth, who admittedly happened to be the grandmother of the king, but she was an ordinary person. And about, you know, uh, Elijah, Elijah and the widow of Zarephath, or the prophet Elisha and, and the, the, uh, the, the Shunammite woman's son, uh, or you know, the, just ordinary people doing ordinary things, living ordinary lives. And again, I, I don't want to overstate it. I'm sure that I, I have no doubt that a lot of the pagans prayed to the gods and they were hoping that the gods would, would intervene in their ordinary lives. But those don't seem to have kind of made it into the, those, those stories about them uh, don't seem to have made it into the, um, the sacred texts very often. So here in the gospel reading today, we have really just a whole bunch of ordinariness. I mean, stuff that happens all the time. You know, some of it's a little tragic. There, there are, these are, to some extent, exceptions. But tragedy characterizes our life as human beings on this earth. And so you have Jesus coming and going around in the... the, the um, just as he always does. And there's crowds with him, as there always are. And there come, comes up to him a man who happens to be a ruler of the synagogue, Jairus by name, who has a daughter who's 12 years of old and she's dying. And he's desperate. Who wouldn't be desperate in this situation? Any parent who has a child, who has experienced that child being ill and, be, and, and being worried about them, will know exactly what's going on here. He's desperate. And here's this man, Jesus. He seems to be able to heal people. And so he comes up to him and he, he runs up to him and says, um, he falls down at Jesus' feet and he implores him to come to his house for his 12-year-old daughter is dying. So Jesus starts on his way. And the people are still pressing around him. And you can imagine Jairus' impatience. 
as there's this crowd and the, the and it's just like it's obviously going to slow things down right um and then in the middle of all this jesus stops and just asks who touched me you notice i'm doing this out of sequence right but this would be the sequence to jarius like he's just stopping and he's asking who touched him and his disciples are puzzled it's like what what do you mean who touched you everybody's crowding around you but jesus insists no someone touched me for i felt healing power go out of me and at that moment a woman comes out of the crowd and she confesses in front of jesus and and uh, to jesus in front of them all that she was the one who touched him. She had this flow of blood for 12 years, the same length of time as Darius has had her da- his daughter. She's been ill for 12 years. And again, any of us who have experienced any kind of chronic health condition will know the desperation here. You're looking for help. Anybody. She spent all her livelihood on physicians, all the money that she has in the world, she's trying poured into trying to find a solution to this problem. And it's not only inconvenient, possibly painful, but it's for her cuts her off from her people. Because in Jewish society, if you were a woman with a flow of blood for as long as you had that flow of blood, you were unclean. You were not allowed to participate in any holy things. Anyone who touched you would also be unclean. So for her now to come forward and explain to everybody in this crowd whom she has touched, what she's done is a huge thing. It's on the level of some person addicted in drug, to drugs when they're illegal, so coming forward and asking for help. Except more than that, because you, you, you see this condemnation. But she, she does. She confesses. And Jesus says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. The, and while at that moment, someone comes up from Jairus' household. And I'm sure Jairus can just see on the person's face the news. It's too late. Your daughter is dead. Don't bother troubling the teacher anymore. Jesus hears this and he says to Jairus, don't fear. Only believe and she will be made well. And he comes into the house and he allows no one to enter with him except Peter, James and John and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. And she said, he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. One of the things that strikes me about, as I say, the, the Gospels, all these little details, the crowds, what it's like. To be jostled by a crowd is captured here in this gospel reading. 
our frustration that we have with crowds. You know, and sometimes, sometimes it's nice, kind of nice to be with everybody, but most of the time it's kind of uh, constricting and, like, and, and, and our impatience that we have. You know, with, with the traffic, for example. <laughs> it's like, this person in front of me is going so slow, and that person, like, oh, why can't people just be... You know, I need to get somewhere. This is my life. It's being delayed. Maybe it's even as urgent as one of these things. Of course, we don't see what's going on behind the scene. Just as Jairus didn't see why Jesus was stopping, didn't understand what the importance of was of calling out this woman to confess before them all. I mean, think about it. Think about how Jesus is carefully negotiating these tricky situations. Here's someone who's essentially stolen healing from him. What's that going to do to somebody spiritually? He's not going to just let that slide. He wants her to be healed, not simply physically, but spiritually as well. And so she has to come forward and confess. He has to take the time. And that, again, is something that we having, having this here is part of our lives. Interruption. Our life nowadays is one continual series of interruptions. And then we get the interruptions get interrupted. And it seems like, ah, now what? And yet every single one of these interruptions is a potentially salvific, life-giving exchange. If only we have the eyes to see it. If only we have the compassion of our Lord and God and Savior Jesus Christ in that situation, on the person who is doing the interruption with us. Because the significance of this is that, uh, the significance, I think, of this care that the scriptures have for the everyday person, for the ordinary person, for the ordinary life, means that God cares about every aspect, every detail of our life, every interaction that we have with everybody we come into contact with, no matter how high or low or common or close or a stranger they are in relation to us. God cares about what we do and how we conduct ourselves. And we see Jesus exercising that care, that love, that compassion in his every interaction with everybody that he comes into contact with. And here now we have kind of almost the ultimate shameful interaction. Jesus is being mocked and ridiculed because they know. I mean, how can he be so stupid as to not to know she's dead. We know what death looks like. We've encountered it before. In our society, we don't encounter it very much. But in, in normal, everyday, and in, certainly in ancient societies, it was a regular occurrence. They knew when somebody was dead. And this girl was dead. And now he, this guy comes in and just is like saying, don't worry, she's just sleeping. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And this, too, is part of our human condition. 
We are very absolutely quite certain that we know the truth. We know reality. We've experienced it. Thank you very much. We're wise and intelligent and, you know, thoughtful people. We know. And we often think we kind of know better than God. But of course, Jesus is the source of life. He's the source of reality itself. He knows a little better than they do, just as God knows a little better than we do. He takes her by the hand. He simply says, child, get up. And at once her spirit returns to her. And she got up at once. And then I love this next detail. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. Being dead is hard work. Give her some food. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. When God comes into the world, he encounters what he himself created. And he loves it. Comes and participates in it. He sacrifices himself for it, that it may be restored to what it, he intended it to be from the beginning. That all the messed up selfishness that has destroyed and created this enormous, terrible tangle that we find ourselves in might be cleared away and might be renewed and made beautiful again. He is the source of life and joy and reality itself. And our job in all of this mundane reality, all of the everyday that we go through, is simply to love as he loves, to appreciate as he appreciates, and to allow whatever interruptions are coming into our life to be a moment for an expression of genuine love. And as we do this, reality itself is reborn. It's renewed, even in our own experience of it. And instead of being all caught up in our own selfish perspectives, we begin to see God's hand at work in all things for the love for those who love him and are the called according to his purpose and for the salvation of all that they might that all might be drawn to him and encounter him in us and that the resurrection life that he imbues in us might be shared that's a bit of a secret not not something to be spread abroad just wildly or like, you know, sit down beside somebody and say, have you heard of the four spiritual laws? But it's something that is when they are ready, then we share. Because this is the source of life itself. How can we not share it? They love some of the some of the some of the stories in here where Jesus says, "Don't tell anybody," and they immediately go around and just start telling everybody. Uh, and so, 
And the end of the story, the end of our story, is resurrection, is being restored to life, that we might eat and drink and be joyful with our Father in heaven, with one another, that we might enter into that Eucharistic joy of the resurrection with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen.